Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to Small Business Digest Radio. My name is Don Mazzella, and I am your host for a program devoted to identifying strategies and suggestions to help small business managers increase profits, add sales, better manage cash flow, improve employee management, and streamline operations. Our guests are other entrepreneurs and experts offering their solutions to the problems and opportunities facing small business leaders. Our aim in each program is to provide one or two thought-provoking ideas or suggestions. So follow us on Twitter at hashtag 2SBDigest or at our website at www.smallbusinessdigest.net. You know, the online world has changed, even the most local store owner. And part of the part of the problem is people become very um, vocal in whether they like or di- and more likely dislike uh, a particular store or a particular uh, company. Jeff Tomlin is with us t- uh, tonight. He's going to talk about this, and I think we're going to have a very interesting conversation. He's VP of Marketing at Vend Asta. Uh, and uh, he's going to talk about that and a few other things. Jeff, welcome to the program. Thanks very much for having me, Don. And I'm excited to talk about this today. Excited to be well, on the show. Uh, well, we're glad to have you. But as we ask every guest, tell us a little bit about yourself personally so the audience gets a little idea of, uh, of who, who they're hearing. You know, it's interesting. I had a I, I had the story that I usually tell about uh, who who I am and how I got into the business that I'm in. Uh, but every Friday afternoon at Vendasta, or once a month rather, we have this thing called Ideas on Tap, where we invite people to come in and do talks about all sorts of different things. And uh, last week, we had a young gentleman come in with an, an organization called Stars, which was an air ambulance um, uh, organization, and he talked about how he got into flying helicopters. And uh, he told us a story where he was out in Whistler, British Columbia, as a snowboard bum. And one of his buddies said to him, who just got his helicopter pilot's license, you've got to become a pilot. You only have to work 30 hours a week. Chicks will dig you. And I laughed. And I got up and I spoke after him. And I said, well, that's a lot like my journey to Vendasta. A couple of us got together and said, hey, let's launch a technology startup. We'll only have to work 30 hours a week. We'll make software. So, of course, chicks will dig us. <laughs> Which absolutely wasn't the case, but I, I had a good uh, good chuckle out of it, anyways. Uh, but I've been uh, building. I was just going to say I've been building software uh, since 2002, and uh, and uh, we've been going great guns uh, at Vendasta since 2008. Well, uh, uh, you're certainly working more than 30 hours a, a week if you're if you're a small business. Uh, so. Now let's get into the topic. Um, uh, we were talking just before the show got, got on, and I uh, we asked what I asked what Vena Asta did, um, and uh, we'll get into that. 
but uh, we we got into a very interesting su- subject. Ironically, uh, I've I received uh, several emails in the, uh, last, uh, late last week and early this week about uh, com- uh, um, companies being worried about um, negative comments appearing on, on the. Uh, uh, on, the, on the internet about them and how they could deal with it. And then when we found out that that's something that you do, which I didn't realize at the beginning because I want to talk about how to maximize your social media, I want to start there because that, I think, is where uh, uh, a real concern for small businesses. And uh, uh, tell us a little bit about that and, and tell us how they can... Uh, when someone gives them a, a negative review, A, how they find out about it, and B, more importantly, how they can counteract it. Well, it, it, it is uh, a huge issue for local businesses, and, and just a little bit of background on that. Um, when we really started focusing on reputation management back in, in 2009, um, we saw this massive growing demand for it as um, – the marketplace for search uh, online really was fragmenting, and there were more and more places that were generating uh, user-generated content. Um, and back in, in those days and in, in the years before that, you only had a couple of sites like uh, like Yelp, maybe, and, and City Search and TripAdvisor that were generating reviews. But now there are lots and lots of hyperlocal sites like. Um, cars.com and AutoTrader and, and Health Grades, um, and now uh, even Google and Facebook generate uh, reviews. And uh, so when we started this, uh, th- there weren't as many review sites, and today reviews even show up in line search. So if you conduct a search now for a local uh, business, uh, the ratings and reviews will show up right in Google. And that's a huge shift because um, back in. Uh, uh, now, um, compared to back then, uh, you used to just look at media as a search device, and they would give you all of the different options of what you wanted. So if you're looking for a restaurant, you'd go to the yellow pages, or you'd go to a search engine many years ago, and it would show you all the restaurants. But now, the media has an opinion. It shows you the restaurants, and it ranks it, and says these are the good ones, and these are the, the ones you maybe want to avoid, just by na- nature of having uh, reviews. And so... Uh, businesses have to take it seriously, and the first step is uh, being aware of them. And so you have to have some sort of tool uh, to monitor your reviews so that you know uh, uh, what people are saying about you and where they're saying it and where the discussions are happening. And then we have a, a, a number of rules around dealing with them that, that we always suggest uh, some small businesses should, should follow. Uh, number one is when you get a review, uh, you should always respond. Um, and uh, you should always respond to the negative ones so that you show people you care. Um, and you, you should respond to some of the, the positive ones and thank them. And uh, the reason why you're responding, the, the biggest reason is, if first off, if there's a negative review, you want to try to turn that person around. But the, the larger reason is to satisfy all of the future readers uh, that are reading ratings and reviews about your business and to show them that you care. Um, so I'd say the second step is uh, anytime you get a negative review is to try and offline it. Try to, try to take it offline right away and deal with it. You show the people that you care by responding and try to get it offline. Um, and uh, don't ever be defensive when you're dealing with a review. Um, and uh, never engage uh, trolls because 
uh, that's a challenge sometimes for some small businesses because you know that uh, some some people like not everybody's rational. You know that some people reviewing you out there are not fair and uh, not al- not always rational. But you can't get into um, a, de- a debate or or um, an argument online because things can can go sideways because you don't know who you're dealing with. You don't know that they're rational. Things can go sideways in a hurry. And sometimes we we say that. Um, engaging with a troll is often like uh, wrestling with a pig. You're both going to get dirty, but the pig's going to like it. Okay. Well, you're saying a troll. What do you mean by that? It's a, it's a good term, but what do you mean by it? Yeah, well, we refer to trolls as people that uh, uh, like to make negative comments online and and make make outrageous remarks just to just to spark outrage or discussion, and they don't really have any other agenda uh, other than to to smear people, make people angry, and and they don't really add any value to discussion, but they can certainly start a flame war, and that's re- that that's all they're really out to do. Well, how do you recognize someone like that? Well, in in the case if you're dealing with a a reviewer and and you follow the first step and you respond to the review and you suggest uh, a way to take it offline, say you you provide your email information or your phone number and invite them to call you and indicate that you'd like to resolve this matter and you terrible you you feel terrible that they've had a bad experience and you'd like to address it. And if they keep commenting um, online and they don't take it offline, that's probably the best indication that they're they're just trying to smear and they don't really have a, a very positive agenda. Um, so I would say that that is probably the biggest indicator. And then uh, I, I would just suggest you don't you, you don't engage them past that first response because uh, consumers and readers of reviews are are, are smart. Uh, you can you can tell the people that are are sane and the people that are not sane. You know, and I I read a ton of reviews online, and um, none more than TripAdvisor. When if I go on a trip, and uh, I, I'm spending a significant amount of money, and I'm and I'm going to, on a holiday, I don't get that, that many holidays. I, I work for a technology startup, so I want to ha- go on a good one. I read a ton of reviews, and when you read a, a ton of reviews, you can the, the ones jump out. And you can discount them right away. You know the people that give a one star and all of their reasons are crazy. Uh, it's pretty obvious. Well, um, um, that, that's good advice. And uh, but let's. Talk, um, it's interesting. You. Uh, by the way, I love your analogy about the wrestling with a, with a pig. Uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, uh, that uh, I hope I can steal it from you sometime. Um, Absolutely. Uh, but uh, let, let's let's go on to, to the to the broader. Um, uh, I guess my my question is: uh, every company uh, faces this. How does how does one uh, keep abreast of positive and negative reviews? I know that's your company, but the broader question first is: why and how? Or more likely, how do you keep a, make sure that if something negative comes on, you know about it? Well, there uh, there are monitoring tools out there, and that's that's what our organization does. We build a monitoring tool um, that uh, gives uh, a business owner a place to log in, and uh, uh, and they can see all of the latest reviews. So our technology goes out and crawls all of the rating and review sites, um, and uh, has relationships to get that information. 
and we bring it back into our dashboard. And um, for convenience, we also provide all of those uh, reviews as soon as they happen um, directly to a business owner in, a, in the form of an email alert. Uh, so we'll email them any time that there's a, a, a new review that pops up about them. And so that's the first step in getting a hold of the reviews that are out there is uh, make sure that you're using some sort of monitoring device that will not just uh, monitor one or two sites, but one that will monitor the entire swath of sites out there, including some of the, uh, the, the what I call hyper-local or the uh, vertical-specific site. Well, you're, you're talking hyper-local, uh, uh, but... Um uh, let me just ask, um, is, is that the only place people put up negatives or do they put them up other places as well that are, you know, not um, not sites like TripAdvisor, but other places uh, no, before they, we get in? Yeah, they they absolutely do, and and so we we we've split up the discussion. We call ratings and reviews sort of structured comments uh, because they're discussions that happen about a business on a business's profile, and so all of the reviews that you get uh, about your business on Yelp happen on your Yelp profile, um, just the same as uh, as on Google and on Yahoo or or TripAdvisor. And then there are unstructured uh, comments and mentions about your business, and those could be on any other type of website, um, a news site, on a blog, um, or on um, uh, social platforms like Twitter. There's a lot of business discussion that happens on Twitter. And so your monitoring system has to listen to both structured comments and unstructured comments. Well, let me go. Does, does this also extend to individuals as well? I mean, uh, for instance, I have a friend uh, who's a fairly well-known economist, and he suddenly found that this one guy was really... Uh, blast them, but it, but it took them three months to find that out. Uh, can you also do it for up uh, on an individual basis as well? Yeah, a absolutely. So individuals can uh, monitor their reputation in a lot of different ways. Um, our service focuses on businesses with a physical location because um, w there it, it represents a unique challenge that. Um, uh, when businesses have a physical location, they have a lot of different profiles out there, and that landscape is a very confusing and muddied landscape on how their their business information and their listings get out into the internet and the wild. And so we try to make sense of that, and that thus focus on the uh, uh, businesses with a physical location. Okay, now uh, I get I see a negative review. On, on, I'm a restaurant, and I say a negative review. How, what do I do to uh, counteract that? Well, there's two things. N number one, I, I'd say follow the, the steps that we walked through in responding. So right. always respond and uh, try to take it offline. Only respond once. Um, and then the, the second thing that you should do is try to get more positive reviews. Um, invite your, your satisfied customers to write reviews about you. Um, so there's a few things that really matter uh, in your digital marketing uh, when you're a local business. Number one, it, especially, and I'm talking here about ratings and reviews, number one is the number of reviews that you have about your business. And number two is the 
the quality or the average rating of those reviews, and most ratings and reviews are on a star, uh, on a one, out, one to five star rating. And so your overall rating um, is the second most important thing. And then the third thing is uh, the velocity of reviews or how many reviews you've received lately. And so re reviews that have been received uh, in, in the very uh, recent past are more important than ones that you received a year or two ago. And so those things uh, are the important things. Uh, so it's important to always generate new reviews and it's important to always counteract any types of negative ones by making sure that you're inviting your uh, your good customers to go say uh, a thing or two online at their favorite uh, site that they use. Well, so, um, do you invite them? How do you go about inviting them? Uh, offering them a discount the next time, a free glass of wine? Again, I'm using a, a restaurant as an example. Um, yeah. So that's a that's a slippery slope. Um, there's a lot of of sites out there that have different types of algorithms and mechanisms and and rules about um, paying people to uh, to review your site, and they they guard against that, and especially Yelp. Um, but I think a way to always uh, generate um, uh, genuine reviews is uh, to you can use comment cards as an offline method. And uh, as an online method, you can provide a simple uh, a simple survey, and uh, they can fill out a survey. And then if they've um, ended that survey with a positive comment, you provide a link down at the bottom to, say, uh, three uh, three sites like Yelp and Google, and maybe another one depending on which type of industry you're in, and invite them to click over and and uh, add their add their comment to their favorite site, and that and that's a perfectly legitimate way to do it, and uh, um, and a very successful way to do it as well. Well, let's let's go on. Um, uh, let's talk more about social media and. What else can you tell our our audience? Um, tell us a little bit about your company and a little bit about what you found over that uh, as you developed what you found wrong and uh, developing a new business and what you found right. Boy, we found an awful lot of things wrong developing a new business. That's for sure. I, I wouldn't uh, hardly know where to start. <laughs> and uh, but I'll tell you, when we when we built out uh, our platform, uh, we focused on a couple of things. Not just the ratings and reviews and finding out the mentions and what people are saying about a business, but we learned that um, just uh, establishing a proper presence is probably first and foremost uh, one of the most important things a business can do. And the things that we we build. Uh, we call them foundational tools, sort of starting points on any type of digital marketing strategy for a local business. And so um, one of the things that a business has to do is make sure that all of their listings online are uh, are accurate. And so if you do that and you understand all the different places you're listed online, you'll also be able to find all of the comments because comments typically appear on, on your local listings. Um, and then your own... So, so you have to make sure all of your information is correct. And it's one of the things that we've learned is that it's a very confusing and 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 ugly way that uh businesses information um gets published across the the, the web. A lot of the time it comes from from uh, internet data providers 
and they collect information all sorts of different ways. And you'll find a lot of businesses have wrong addresses and wrong phone numbers and different spellings of their names. And all those things affect your search engine um, uh, rankings and and your success on search engines. And so um, there are tools, and we provide some tools uh, to help a business ensure that all of their information and data is correct. And then, so after you do that and you establish some monitoring, you can put some proactive um, measures in place. Um, one of the other things that we've found is that most small businesses are uh, are their time starved. The, a lot of business owners are busy running their business, and uh, they don't have time to focus on these sort of activities. Um, and uh, um, and learn about the different aspects of uh, of these types of marketing practices. And so we find the vast majority of, of small business owners would like to engage agencies. And as a technology company, uh, we don't actually sell our services directly to local businesses. We sell through agencies that rebrand our, our system and then provide it. So actually a lot of local uh, small business owners don't know the name Vendasta, but they would uh, they may be using our our platform or it may be listening for them um, through all sorts of different media companies or agencies that they could be working with. Um, and so the like I said, the the one thing that we found is is that it, it's critical. Uh, I think the the role of agencies for local business marketing because most businesses are just uh, are just too busy to engage in these sort of activities. Well, I'll tell you, after tonight's program, I'm thinking of uh, 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 engaging, uh, find out what people are saying about my program. Uh, but the uh, 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 name of your company is Vend Asta, V as in Victor, E-N-D, capital A-S-T-A. How did you come up with that name? Well, that was a that was a, a long story and not really related to what we're doing today. But when we we started uh, consulting because we had to eat, and uh, we we had a consulting client that was an industrial auction client, and uh, so vend means to means to sell, and asta means auction, and uh, and so we knew that one on the one hand we wanted to build something that was a marketing platform. And so we put the ideas of auction and marketing together, and and uh, came up with uh, stuck two Latin words together. Well, how did you move into this other area? Well, we uh, we began um, consulting, and we consulted for uh, right right out when we started in 2008. Then we started, uh, as we started that, uh, a couple of us. Uh, began writing a business plan for this uh, this thing called My Front Steps, and uh, we re- we successfully raised uh, three million dollars in the summer of our first year uh, to go and do that. And uh, the story at the be- at the time was our plan was to build a a way for homeowners to find trusted service providers that their friends and family recommend. And we had the strategy to to first build a social platform for homeowners to share all the things about their uh, their home and their home renovations and get inspiration. And on the other hand, we would provide the simple reputation listening tool for service providers. Then we'd put the two audiences together and try to monetize a transaction. And uh, uh, it was a convoluted strategy, and we found very quickly that people didn't want to share all the things about their home right away. Um, but we found that there's this huge growing demand for reputation management, and, and we began just to just to focus in on that area. 
How long have you been in business? And so we've been in business since uh, 2008, and although that that's not a long time in in real years, uh, most of us there were seven of us actually that started the company, and uh, we've all been working together since 1999. Uh, so we've, we've got a tight-knit group, and uh, now our company employs uh, just over 100 people up in uh, sunny Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, Canada. <laughs> um, if people wanted to, to uh, uh, f- find you or find your company uh, and, or to find out uh, who, who um, uh, they can uh, get this service, which I'm seriously considering, the nice thing about being a host of a program like this is you find a, you hear a lot of people tell you the things that you should do. So where Absolutely. how do they find? So the pro- probably the easiest way uh, to contact us is on our site. That's www.vendasta.com. V-E-N-D-A-S-T-A.com. Uh, and then we also we're also on Facebook and Twitter, and you can see us on on those channels as well, and learn all the things about what. Uh, what we're doing and w- w- what we've got coming in the future. Well, uh, uh, we want you to come back in the uh, in 2015 and talk some more about it because uh, I know I learned a lot and I hope our audience did as well. Well, thanks very much for having me. I certainly enjoy the invi- uh, appreciate the invitation and I enjoyed my time here. Uh, so, thanks very much, Don. Uh, talk to you soon. All right. Have a great evening, sir. Energy for many companies is the third most expensive item uh, on their cost list. Uh, Today we have Nate Kessman. He's Vice President of Business Development at Great Eastern Energy. And he's going to talk a little bit about that. Nate, welcome to the program. Thanks so much for having me, Don. Well, you know, um, uh, when your email came across my desk, I said, you know, that's something we should be talking about. So, But um, we all ask all our guests first to talk about uh, their, themselves personally so our audience gets a little idea of what they're like. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Nate. Sure. As, as, as brief as I can be, um I was actually I left for college to become uh, a chef. I thought I was going to be a chef when I uh, when I went to when I went away to school. Uh, I wound up with a business degree. Shortly after working in the restaurant industry for a couple of years, I moved out of that industry and into sales and marketing. Uh, from there, worked a little bit in real estate and wound up in the energy business uh, by accident in 2008. Since then, I've uh, been really focused on helping businesses improve cost control and profitability in the in the energy world. Personally, uh, I'm 35 years old. I'm married. I have two children, and uh, I live in Westchester, New York, with my wife and kids. What we'll start first. What does Great Eastern Energy do? Sure, we're a um, an alternative supplier of natural gas and electricity. So we work behind the utilities to supply both natural gas and power to about 25,000 businesses in New York, New Jersey, and Massachusetts. So you're one of those people that calls me up um, every other week and said, we can reduce your uh, energy bill. Am I right? 
Not not entirely. Not entirely. We we're we're not a multi level marketing company nor do we really push uh telemarketing as a way to, to obtain clients. We're more of a relationship based sale. Um and you know, we don't call on residential or single family homeowners. We only we only speak with businesses. Well, that that's good, but okay. But what what is your value proposition that, that would make a small business want uh, to talk to you? Well, I think it's our personalized service that really that really draws uh, folks to us. We really do take the time to look at each business's individual usage profile as well as um, their compensating factors. And then what we do is we'll tailor an energy management plan to them that goes far beyond price. We're really focused on helping businesses not only manage the costs associated with energy, but also shedding some light on the fact that the only way to really save money in the energy world is to reduce their consumption. And how can you do that? Well, consumption reduction starts with basically benchmarking your usage so that you you have a um a place to start from so that you know going forward what these improvements are actually uh how these improvements rather are affecting your bottom line. So we start by benchmarking the current energy usage and that's just taking a snapshot of how much let's say electricity and natural gas the business is using today. And from there, we look at different opportunities depending on the type of business. Uh, for most, it starts with a simple lighting audit, and then we can go on from there to, to more higher efficiency equipment, always keeping, um, you know, a cost, <clears throat> or always keeping the procurement strategy first, or how, you know how how natural gas and power is purchased for that business. Well, um... Could, uh, Nate, assume which is true. I know nothing. Mm-hmm. Uh, go on and, and uh, tell us a little bit more. I mean, uh, you look at the lights, you look at the uh, the equipment, etc. Um, but, but you know, go into detail as if you're talking to me as a potential client, because uh, uh, I know uh, our audience uh, always picks up on these things. So please go into detail. You got you got all day. Okay. I mean, I mean, sure you understand that every time you're turning the lights on, energy dollars are being spent in the business, correct? Yes. And that you do have the ability to purchase energy supply from an outside supplier. You don't have to necessarily use the utility to purchase outside supply. Uh, utility companies are really there to just pass the cost of energy on to, to users dollar for dollar. And what that can... What that translates into is a cost for energy that's constantly fluctuating. When you work with a company like Great Eastern, you're able to take a, a, a variable cost, and sometimes that cost is between, let's say, for a restaurant, 3 and 5% of the total operating budget, and you're able to fix that cost. Couple that with some other strategies like LED lighting or high-efficiency equipment, and then you're able to really start to reduce the, the, the dollars that you're spending on energy and, and watch it a little more closely. Well, well, let's let's take a, a restaurant. Uh, sure. They have ovens, they have lights, they have other things. What do you do? Uh, you know, go into detail. Um, uh, I'm fascinated by this, and if, if I can figure, if, our, if you can show our audience how to uh, reduce uh, those costs, I mean, you're doing a service. 
Right. Re- restaurants are unique in that they use a consistent amount of energy year-round. So they're they're a little different than an office building who's just using natural gas for heat. So in a restaurant environment, you can actually move the client from rates for from commodity rates that are fixed during one por- portion of the year to variable during another portion of the year. And you know, our strategy is to move those types of customers into variable rates in the summertime when natural gas rates usually decrease. What this does is it allows them to save money versus the utility and then retain that savings during the winter months with a fixed rate. Um, Also a big part of helping um, restaurants reduce energy usage is to really have a staff meeting and provide an overview of why sustainability is important to that restaurant. So the ownership really needs to get involved. There's really no there's no written law that says you have to become more sustainable. That's something that restaurant owners have to really invoke or evoke to their staff that they understand why they're going to try and become more sustainable. From there, it's having a staff meeting and appointing um, a, a, an energy director who will form an energy team, and they'll get together and think of new ways to reduce energy consumption. A couple um, right off the top of my head would be besides changing lighting, uh, checking all the sinks and toilets and anything that's touching water, dishwashers, things of that nature, checking for leaks um, in, in those items. Every, you know, a running toilet even can cost a restaurant thousands of dollars per year in utilities costs. Um, you know, after... Uh, after now, that's looking, something... Yeah. That's something I didn't know. You mean a leak in the in the... Uh, uh, in the water line can affect your energy costs. Absolutely, and and you know it's. I think water consumption, uh, domestic water consumption, is like is about forty three percent of the water that that a restaurant uses. And not only are you wasting water, you're wasting the heat that's used to heat that water. A lot of water in restaurants is heated before it gets into into a dishwashing machine. So if you have leaks, you're wasting you're wasting energy two times. You really need to tighten up literally. Um, around all those those areas with water, mop sinks, regular sinks, uh, toilets, your um, your dishwashers, and make sure there's no leaks. After that, you want to check the thermostats. Uh, make sure they should they should be set to an optimal temperature of about 140 degrees. Uh, any you know anything higher than that might cause the, the equipment to run not as efficient as it should or lower. You're going to be wasting more energy trying to heat the water up. So you want to look at that. And all these things really have a low, you know, a low investment. You really don't have to invest much money to do this. Uh, thermostats are another another area that you'd want to look at. Every degree of air conditioning that you uh, increase is about three to four percent in energy use for that for that cooling. You know, for for those cooling costs in and of itself. Two things I didn't know. I now know better. So so now. Um, well, let's. You also do buildings. How, how do you? Uh, what do you suggest in terms of buildings? Multifamily properties or commercial office space? Well, let's start with commercial offices first. Commercial offices. We're on office, a roll. Right, commercial offices. I think that um, again, staff involvement is important. Uh, lighting is probably the the low hanging fruit in a commercial office space. Uh, LED lights can save uh, upwards of 50% on energy costs and and waste heat that they produce. So if you do own a commercial office space, you probably want to be looking at lights. And 
the rebates that the local utilities are offering now to change lights out are, are pretty substantial, uh, where there's little to no cost to actually install that, that kind of equipment. Um, after that, you want to kind of work with your property manager to, to narrow down a budget for what you'd like to spend on commodity for the year. That's when a company like Great Eastern Energy can really analyze past and, and, and future usage to provide uh, an energy management or commodity management plan that will help meet those budgetary needs. Well, uh, let's talk about the commodity. Uh, are you saying, uh, uh, how do you cha change that commodity? Um, I, I don't quite understand how you do that, uh, but it sounds interesting. For most utilities in the Northeast, there is a, a law passed called energy deregulation. And what energy, energy deregulation did is it split the utility companies that were operating as regulated monopolies. Essentially, the utilities were supplying and delivering energy to these businesses. And it, it gave the utilities a choice. And, and, and basically, the choice was you can either continue to deliver energy to your customers through your existing wires and pipes and the infrastructure that you own, or you can move to the supply business where you don't own the generation um, and you know all the all the all the investment that you've made in infrastructure is going to be kind of for naught. Obviously, the utilities took the route that they wanted to continue to do the de continue to do the delivery of the energy, and that left the supply portion open to deregulation. Uh, now there are companies like ours who essentially make a buy energy on the customer's behalf at no cost to them and ensure uh, that that energy is delivered through utility wires and pipes. Utilities are still there to fix any power lines and, or respond in the case of an emergency. Uh, companies like Great Eastern really focus on uh, that commodity, being able to purchase it forward on a fixed rate or maybe on a variable rate if the client is more tolerant of risk. Um, so you're in effect saying that you, um, rather than use the uh, uh, utility, um, uh, they still supply the energy, but you supply, but you you become the middleman in between. We, and you we can either the, buy from them. Right, we're the supplier. We, we we purchase the energy on the customer's behalf, and then guarantee. Let's say on a fixed price, we'd guarantee a rate going forward. Utilities do not offer fixed price service. Again, you're tied to the you're tied to what the default price for for electricity or natural gas is. During last year's polar vortex, that meant some people saw their their bills increase 30% through the utility, where clients that were on a fixed price were insulated against that. Uh, so, uh, so um, the utilities. Were, uh, I'm sorry, I I didn't understand that one. I apologize. That's okay. That's okay. Could you repeat that again? Because I didn't quite understand it. Mm -hmm. So you have essentially utilities are are are. Let's say utilities operate as basically the UPS and the FedEx of the energy world. They deliver energy to clients. Customers, uh, businesses like Great Eastern, they're focused on the supply of energy. So mm -hmm. we work with clients to, let's say, on a fixed price, budget out a cost. Utilities do not offer a fixed price. And what that means is you're, if you're with the utility, you're paying market rate for 
energy, which can go up and down. During last year's polar vortex and any other extreme weather event, energy prices become very volatile. Last year's polar vortex, customers saw their bills go up 30%. Clients that were with... Clients that were with a company like Great Eastern on a protected price, based on a strategy that most of our clients do purchase fixed-rate contracts, they were insulated against those increases. That doesn't necessarily mean they're going to save any money versus the utility from month to month. That's one of the other big misconceptions in our business. Um, What we really do is provide protection against rate increases. We can guarantee that, um, very much like an insurance policy, we can guarantee that pricing won't increase from you know during a certain period of time, and that really helps clients during the summer when rates get volatile and during the winter when rates get volatile. So to tie that back to an office building, an office building would want to purchase energy prior to the summer months when their heating when when their cooling costs rather were probably at their highest. So that's that's the advantage. But uh, let me say that so. So you offer at a fixed rate, but there are other companies out there that offer at a varying rate. Well, uh, for instance, here in New Jersey, uh, after Sandy, a lot of uh, um, uh, homeowners and others got hit with 30 40% increases. That's not your type of company. Yours is we go in, do an analysis, come up with a price, and say, we will guarantee you this price for the next 12 months, right. uh, and we'll also show you ways of saving money. Right. It's, Would that it's, be it's, uh, accurate? Uh, yes, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. That, that's very accurate. We're, we're, you know, again, relationships are very important to us. Without the small business customer, Great Eastern really doesn't exist. So we work really hard to explain the benefits of either protected pricing or a balance of fixed and variable. Our strategy, though, rarely puts a client through a peak time on a variable rate. What that means is uh, in the summer or winter during the most most volatile pricing periods, we prefer our clients to have a, a protected price. Well, I certainly uh, have a new view of it. I have a very biased view uh, of it because... Uh, Again, uh, we've we've seen small businesses here here in New Jersey mm-hmm. talking about suddenly having when when they've gone outside of uh, the utilities uh, having big increases and one big uh, one big utility in South Jersey that uh, slapped all the um, homeowners and the um, individuals with thirty to forty percent increases because their facilities went. Uh, uh, were badly damaged and they had to do it. So you would, in effect, be protecting them if they were a customer of yours. Yes, if they were on a fixed rate during that period, we would. Uh, there are times when clients elect for variable rates. It, it all depends on, on a client's tolerance for risk. We don't always recommend that a client be on a variable rate during a peak period of time. However, if you were a restaurant and using natural gas in the summertime, when natural gas prices fall, you do you do very well on a variable rate, and then come come fall and winter, you'd want to be on a protected price again. See, it's the management that really makes the difference for 
for, for small business clients. A lot of people speak with brokers who are just dangling a price in front of them. They take the lowest price. They never hear from the broker again, and their contract expires, leaving them ex- exposed to all these rates. You really want to choose a partner that's that's dedicated, that wants to that, that wants to meet with you and really help you reduce usage. If they're talking about saving money through a fixed rate, or if you're speaking with somebody that's talking about saving money through a fixed rate, it's really a fallacy. The only real way to, to, to save money in, in, in utility costs is to reduce your usage, and, and we try and, and align ourselves with that. Uh, what do you think? Well, um, what's the better way of doing it, the fixed or the variable? It, it really depends on a couple of factors. One, the type of business that you're in. And two, how tolerant of risk you are. If you're not very risk tolerant, if you prefer a budget, cost control, and price protection, then protected pricing or fixed price contracts are the way to go. If you can handle a little bit of risk, like any financial investment, if you can handle a little bit of risk and tolerate a little bit of risk, there are times when variable rates work well. What we're seeing right now is that for electricity, the fixed the fixed pricing is what's best. And natural gas, we're looking at variable rates only on the off-peak times, that time from, let's say, March through November, natural gas pricing. And I believe the market has proven that natural gas pricing has come down quite a bit since um, the end of the Well, March. yeah, I understand we have a glut of natural. My regret is that my, my boiler is an oil boiler. Um, uh, and I, I've seen the increase. I only wish you were in the... Uh, uh, oil business as well. The the only uh, way we t- yeah the only way we touch on the oil business is if you're a commercial client and you want to convert. Great Eastern Energy will actually fund that conversion. We'll actually pay for the conversion and then you'll repay us through the through the uh, the gas or power that you buy, but not for a residential account. Yeah, well, that, that, that's unfortunate. But since this show is about small business. Yeah. Um, we'll let that go. Uh, I, I, but I will tell you one thing. Um, uh, I, I sit on the board of a medical marijuana dispensary in New Jersey, okay. and uh, I want you to uh, uh, call. I, I want you to call uh, us on that because uh, I think you should come by. We have very, very, we very, very, very much in our utility bill. And I think we should be talking to you. Certainly, I'd be more than happy to help you take a look at that. What oh, part of New uh, Jersey are you located in? Uh, we're Egg Harbor, next to Atlantic City. Oh, they're down south a little bit. Is that the Atlantic City Electric Utility, or are you with a municipal-owned yes. utility? Okay, so you are with Atlantic City Electric. Okay. Yes, I sure. believe so. Yeah, as long as, long uh, as you're not with a municipal-owned utility. Um, why is that? Because uh, I do know several several of our regular listeners are. In fact, that's one of the reasons you're on the show. Uh, is are the different rules for them? Uh, yes, uh, Vineland, for example, the, the the county of Vineland, New Jersey, has their own electric utility. Now they they go out to market to buy natural gas, but they are they're not a deregulated utility. They're 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 um, municipally owned or owned by a municipality. But, I, you know, it, it's as easy as just taking a look at some invoices and having a discussion, which I'd be more than happy to do. 
Well, you, uh, you definitely will with me. So uh, I appreciate um, that, Don. Uh, after this program, we definitely should be talking because uh, um, uh, absolutely, um, uh, uh, we we see our rates vary greatly. Sure. Uh, we raise marijuana. Okay. Um, legally in, in New Jersey, well, legally in, for the state, illegally for the federal the federal government. But, okay. Uh, we see, uh, and because um, uh, our marijuana plants have to have constant uh, uh, temperature, constant light, our, our utility bills are our third largest expenditure. Let's look at your business that you just described to me as any other manufacturer where you're um, using energy to produce a product. So you're saying you're Correct. using lighting 24 hours a day. Yes. There's no time where the lights are off, are turned off. No, can't be because it's growing. Gotcha. It's growing. Um, we grow. Uh, we have high intensity uh, lights. Yep. Built humendous, humongous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're, they're a heavy draw on, on energy. Okay, so if you're using if you're using energy 24 hours a day, then in order to insulate you from the increases and decreases that you'll see in the market, we would we would we would provide you with a, a protected price, a fixed price. And that what that would what that would do is we'd look at your historical usage. Okay, and then we'd model out, we 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 we'd make a forecast going forward, a simple forecast of what you'd spend going forward with a protected price for your energy. This allows you to divert funds to another area. It make it means that you don't have to deal with um looking at a bill that changes every month and and what we really want to help you do is 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 manage that cost so that you can focus on your core business on a restaurant or run an office building or in manufacturing that's their specialty energy is not we want to be there to help take that time um and be that energy geek really that energy manager for 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 that facility if you were using your lighting on different times of the day I would suggest moving those lights to only go on during off-peak times. When the I wish we could. The energy would be less expensive at those off-peak times. But what Great Eastern can right. do is we'll look at your total usage and we'll maximize your on-peak and off-peak spend. We'll, we'll get we'll, okay. we'll we'll provide you with a protected price for both. Well, um, and, and uh, Nate, uh, uh, when when we finish this. Um, uh, interview. I have another um, interview uh, waiting online, um, but um, uh, um, uh, please call um, call me back. Um, uh, in fact, I will call you uh, 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 well, once I finish this interview, and we'll talk further. Because I certainly learned something new, and I think uh, my uh, company, should, at, at the least, should be uh, talking to you. Absolutely. Well, we're more than happy to help. I mean, my goal is really to to help educate your audience. If I can help you in the in in the in the same time, that would be that you know that's great. If you know, and if there's any other questions that you have right now that you think would be helpful for your audience, just let me know. Well, for the main one is how did they reach you? It's easy. Um, you can find me on our company's website, GreatEasternEnergy.com. Um, you can also get me on Twitter. I'm at Nate Kessman on Twitter. I'm on LinkedIn. Um, uh, so spell, spell your name. 
Yep, sure. It's N-A-T-E-K-E-S-S-M-A-N. The website is greateasternenergy.com, www.greateasternenergy.com, or at Nate Kessman on Twitter. Nate, it's certainly been an illuminating uh, time with you today, and I, Thank I, you, I definitely will talk to you further and uh, hope our audience uh, learned as well. Thank you for being with us. Great. Looking forward to to, to uh, speaking with you again sometime. Well, well you definitely will. And, thanks uh, for the opportunity, uh, Don. No, thank you, Nate, and thanks for your patience and all of this. And uh, we'll uh, we'll have you back on the next Solar Vortex. We're going to have you on. <laughs> okay, you got it, Don. Uh, have a nice day. You too. Enjoy the weekend. Our next guest is John Sullivan who's a, a well-known Hollywood director and producer, and uh, he has a new, new uh, a movie he wants to talk about, and uh, uh, I certainly am looking forward to talking uh, with him. John, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for having me on, Don. No. Uh, John, we always ask our guests first to tell them, tell them a little bit about themselves personally, and with you, a little bit of some of the movies they might have seen. Uh, that you, you you've been involved with? Uh, sure. Uh, you know, folks would know uh, the movies I've worked on uh, with Expelled uh, with Ben Stein. Uh, I worked on the movie, uh, directed the movie 2016 uh, with Dinesh D'Souza, and then this last summer we had um, with Dinesh we also had America, uh, Imagine the World Without Her that came out this summer and it's coming out on DVD uh, next Tuesday. What's it all about? Well, you know. We took a step back and looked at America where we're at right now because, you know, it seems that America's kind of at a crossroads. It has a decision to make of where it's going to go and what its place in the world is going to be. And we could make this step, and it's going to be intentional. Are we going to make a step forward or are we going to take a step in decline? And unfortunately, we see that step in decline happening. And it's happening, we thought, for an unusual reason um, because a lot of Americans, um, particularly younger Americans, don't feel proud of America. They feel recently there was a, an interview with a bunch of college students, and uh, they asked, you know, what's the problem, America or ISIS? And actually more students sided with the fact that America is the problem, not ISIS, um, in that situation. So that's how far off we've fallen in this way. And we wanted to kind of take head on a number of the critiques uh, that happen with people uh, about America. America has not been perfect, but you know what? We've provided a great place for people to live, the rule of law, self-determination, free market system. And uh, we kind of examined that uh, throughout the movie. Okay. Well, well tell me, uh, what have we forgotten, and uh, why do you think this that, uh, that that's happening? Yeah, I think uh, the the reason why it's happened, what we've forgotten, is really the contribution America has made to the world, um, in the sense. And really, with this, what we're talking about is the fact that America was the first country to kind of scratch its way out of darkness. Um, you know, it, it's the first to have really the rule of law and self determination, uh, protecting individual liberties over monarchies or special interests uh, in that way. And many people forget that. Um, you know, this country is built not on a conquest ethic of, you know, I take your stuff or you take mine um, and we've got to go to war over it, but rather a cooperative free market system. You know, if I want to go buy a sandwich, I can buy a sandwich at many different locations. I'm not fortunate to buying a sandwich from one location. So in this system, we've really forgotten this, and it's been, a, um, I think, an intentional 
reason why that's happened, particularly through uh, a book called The People's History of the United States, written by a professor named Howard Zinn. Um, and this has been the most influential history book uh, of the last 40 years and has really rewritten our history. And so that's what we kind of take on in the movie. Uh, you, you say it took it on. Is it because uh, the uh, the media in general is, is not doing that? Um why did you do it? We we did this because we we saw this kind of happening, particularly with younger people, as they kind of come up and look at America. It's not the same. Um, I'm a Gen X person. I was born in the 60s, uh, the late 60s, early 70s. Um, and so what we're seeing now with younger and younger kids is they're forgetting the freedoms we have. We have mounting debt that's happening um, along that way. And really the pride in America um, that, that we've had for so long is starting to diminish, and there's not a reason for it to diminish. You know, we're still uh, an active, uh, the world superpower, we're, we're moral people, um, we're charitable people, and those are the things that we should celebrate and cause us to come together rather than the things that are dividing us right now. I couldn't agree with you more. This this program is about small business, and uh, in the last uh, last five years, the number of small businesses being formed has declined each year, and it seems like it's a decline in optimism. And the interesting fact is that now a majority of small businesses are started by immigrants or first generation. Uh, that to me was a very uh, a telling uh, statistic that I've been following, and it's uh, one of the reasons why you're on this program. Because I, th I thought your your um, uh, your movie, which I found fascinating, um, uh, kind of addressed some of those issues. It seems we've lost our optimism. Uh, do you see that happening? Uh, absolutely. You know, I, I grew up uh, during the Reagan generation, and you know, right before then, we had lost our optimism under I think under Carter. You know, we were, as famously said, we were in a malaise. I think we're kind of in that same situation today. You know, small business is the lifeblood of America because as more small businesses grow, um, they eventually or occur. They actually grow into medium-sized and then larger-scale businesses. This has been the engine. Um, for America's growth, and you know, we're, we're unfortunately, as you said, we're seeing that stagnate, um, and there's no real reason for it right now. That shouldn't be happening. Um, we should be in a position where you know, small businesses are being founded and growing, and in, in, in that in that way. So we kind of take that on, and we also kind of really show people, you know, how is wealth created? You know, I, I mentioned earlier, but I mean. It used to be under this conquest ethic. You had something I wanted, whether it be oil, uh, uh, you know, uh, farm, farmland. You wanted something, I would just go in and take it. You know, that was kind of the modus operandi. Where in America, we really created, you know, wealth through cooperative systems in the free market. And I think we're starting to kind of lose that. We're seeing government intrude upon things. We're seeing people not really understanding how free markets work. We're seeing actually crony capitalism um, happening to where the government's giving favoritism to certain companies. And this is not a healthy environment for an economy to grow into, along with being straddled with the debt we're at. So we take, you know, it, it's broad, but we take all these issues on, and we try to succinctly answer kind of each one in sequence. Well, you, you did, I thought you did a fabulous job. That's why you're on this program. So, um, why do you? What can uh, the ordinary business owner, who's the 
uh, 59% of our listeners are, are business owners. What can they do to, to, to change this? Well, I think one of the, yeah, I think one of the easiest things and the first things they can do, you know, this was, we had a, a guy who owned a series of Dairy Queen franchises um, in the Midwest, and he actually took all of his employees um, that were mostly high school and college-age students, and he took them to the movie and had a discussion with them. I thought this was really interesting because he basically told us, look, it, you guys have given me the tool to come in and start the discussion to address how is wealth created, where, is this, where have we come as a society, why have we been different, what has created the opportunity here versus, you know, other countries. And, you know, that's one way to look at it, is I think people can actually sit down with their employees and uh, look at how they, um, you know, how does, how does America work? Because uh, a lot of people don't get this in school. It's not taught in high school. You know, in a lot of college programs, it's not taught anymore. Um, and this is an opportunity because a lot of people, you know, who are employees do not understand how a small business operates, you know, and why it has to operate under a profit motive, um, why it can't just give away or have minimum wage um, increases to $25 per person, things of this nature. So I think it, it's an opportunity for people to watch the film actually with their employees, sit down or give it to them to go home and watch and have a discussion around it. Well, um, well that's a great start. Um, what 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 made you and how did you what made you do the uh, film and how did you uh, generate the uh, the money to to uh, create such a film and uh, I just finished reading a book when Hollywood was right and now uh, the tone of the book was that Hollywood is left now. You're, uh, how did you do it? Yeah, so you know we're, we're, we operate in a very crowded field um, in, in Hollywood here, but what we've been able to do is kind of uh, stake out a niche market. You know, the show's focused on small businesses. We are kind of a small to medium sized business um, in this, and uh, what we do. You know, as a filmmaker, about every uh, twelve months to eighteen months, I start a new small business because every film's its own LLC operation. So you know, I'm a small business owner myself. And in this, what, what we did is we're able to, um, you know, raise money through individual investors uh, for this, which gives us the creative control and also the, the marketing uh, dollars to get the movies out. This is where we're very different from other filmmakers in the sense that most filmmakers try to make a movie and it's just kind of their story of what they want to do. We actually see a market that we're trying to serve um, and bring information that we don't think is being told kind of through the mainstream media. So this creates opportunity for us. We're able to capitalize that on the creative stuff we do, and then also we have the marketing funds to leverage that to make sure that people know about the movie and get it out there. So, you know, we've kind of looked at Hollywood. We've examined it. I've studied it for, you know, 12 years. I've worked in it and uh, really looked at what are the opportunities for us um, and how can we establish something of a brand and do it differently. Mm. Well, how did you get to Hollywood? Uh, I usually take I-5 uh, to the 101. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, the, uh, what, um, what, we need a little, little levity in this. We need a little <laughs> levity in this program. <laughs> yeah. The, um, but for me, I kind of came through a, a roundabout way. I wasn't really looking to be in the movie business. I had worked in entertainment earlier in my life, actually in the music business, and had left that. Um, you know, I was actually on my way. I thought I was going to do a Ph.D. in philosophy um, uh, over at Oxford, and I uh, got tapped to do the movie Expelled with Ben Stein. 
And uh, that was kind of my launch into the business. But what I did before we launched that film was I really sat down and studied it. I wanted to know it as a business um, before we kind of get on the creative. I think so many people just come into the creative side of it and say, hey, I want to do the show part of it. But they forget that it's show business and forgot about the business side of it. So I focused on the business and then went to the show side. So I kind of reversed engineered what we would need to do um, in that situation. And, uh, you know, looking at it from a marketing background, which I had, from a marketing and advertising background, versus just straight creative content, which is where most people come from. So my kind of, uh, you know, move into the entertainment business was a roundabout way. It wasn't kind of something I was looking to do at the time. Uh, Kind of more kind of fell into my lap. And, uh, you know, I just see the opportunity and went for it. Well, uh, isn't that what every uh, successful small business uh, does? Yeah, that's what we've got to do. You know, you've got to take the opportunities. I was just speaking to a bunch of college students last night, and I was asked a question of, like, how do I make it? And I said, you know, if you're not willing to work hard and put in 15 hours a day um, for months or maybe years on an end, I wouldn't even bother showing up. I mean, go look for just a job. But as a small business owner, you know, if if you're not doing it, it probably isn't getting done or, you know, in that sense, you're responsible for it. And you, and you become responsible for people. Um, you know, we have a, you know, at the height of when we're doing this, you know, we, we're on set with probably close to 200 to 300 people um, that you're managing that through. And then we have a marketing staff of about 14 uh, at our height of when we're doing everything, when the movie's coming out in theaters. So, you know, we kind of uh, swell and kind of uh, shrink as as need comes around. And it's kind of managing that along with creating all the content and everything you're doing on the movie side of it. But we also work on the distribution very closely. So it, it is. As a small business owner, you've got to be looking at every facet of your business versus just kind of being an employee at a larger corporation. Uh, and, and your movie is coming out uh, uh, next week on DVD. That's correct. So we'll be coming out. It'll be available at a local retail, so like a Walmart or Target, uh, or you can go to our website, americathemovie.com, and uh, order it there. And, uh, you know, I hope I hope people do take a look at it and uh, understand that, that there are a group of us that still love America deeply, still think that it's the last great hope on earth, and uh, think that it's worth fighting for. Couldn't agree with you more. Couldn't agree how important and how great this country is. I'm the son of an immigrant, so, uh, you know, uh, I, what can I say? I'm just so glad you're on the program today. Oh, where did uh, where did your family immigrate from? Uh, from Italy, from the island of Italy. Ponza. Okay. Yes. With a name like yeah. Mazzella, what else would it be? Well, I was but, curious, uh, there. yeah. But uh, I. Um, I thoroughly enjoy, and uh, um, when you have your next progress, uh, next program, let us know. Oh, absolutely. No, I, I will. And, you know, one other feature, just really quickly in the movie, I think, uh, focusing on small business, we tell the story of Madam C.J. Walker. And this is an untold story, particularly for small businesses. This is a woman who was born, she was a first generation born out of slavery um, as an African-American during segregation. Um, and, and she became the 
America's first self-made millionaire going door-to-door selling hair care products. And we feature that story to show that, you know, even under the most dire circumstances um, in the situation, America still provided opportunity um, for people that were willing to work hard um, and find that opportunity, seize it, and grab a hold of it. So even for that, it's a wonderful story for your listeners to kind of see just from that standpoint. Absolutely. Um, uh, they can get it. It's called, The movie is called America. It's surprising it wasn't copyrighted before that. <laughs> well, you know, it's interesting. You can't actually copyright um, a movie title. Um, so it, it's a very interesting thing that they, they allowed because uh, there was only a select number of movies. So you can actually have movies of kind of the same name um, with that. But we, we threw in the tagline, Imagine the World Without Her, um, given the fact that we felt that we were in such a precarious situation. We are, um, but I'm convinced the republic will survive. Good. We need that attitude. Well, what can I say? Son of an immigrant. Uh, yep. Um, uh, John, thank you. Uh, thank you so much for being on the program today. Oh, no problem, Don. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for listening tonight. All of our guests are invited because they offer actionable advice to our audience. They do not pay to join us, but rather demonstrate their capacity for helping our audience and profits. Thank you for listening, and we'll be here again next week with other experts to talk about ways to improve your profit picture. Remember, we're here every week at blogtalkradio.com slash smallbusinessdigest. If you like what you heard today, tell others about our efforts. If you would like to be a guest or suggest topics for future hours, email me at info at smallbusinessdigest.net. That's info at smallbusinessdigest.net. We would also like to remind listeners that besides our radio efforts, Small Business Digest comes to you via the web, through our video channel, and in our magazine. You can subscribe for any or all of these by going to smallbusinessdigest.net. That's smallbusinessdigest.net. Thank you, and have a good day.